Excitement is building around one of the potentially newest members of the Sacramento Kings, Sasha Vezinkov, the European sharpshooter. But can he come to Sacramento and help the Sacramento Kings go from good to great? That's what this offseason is all about. And to discuss that, plus Harrison Barnes, De'Aaron Fox, and more, Frankie Cardicelli from Sacktown Sports 1140 joins me right here on Locked on Kings. You are Locked On Kings, your daily Sacramento Kings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it is that time, time for another episode of Locked On Kings. Hello and welcome into Locked On Kings, your podcast hub for Sacramento Kings coverage all off-season long. Today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. First-time users can receive a hundred percent instant deposit match up to one hundred dollars with promo code Locked On. That's promo co- or rather PrizePicks.com promo code Locked On. My name is Matt George. I have the privilege of being your host here. I'm a Sacramento sports reporter and producer for ABC Ten News, and I would say. One of my closest friends, maybe the closest friend that I have in the Sacramento media scene, Sacramento Kings media scene, is is Frankie Cardicelli. He and I used to work together at Sacktown Sports uh, 1140 Radio before I moved on to television. Does just phenomenal work over there. Has become the Sacramento Kings insider over there. You hear him on the radio. You can read his amazing work online, the articles that he writes about the Sacramento Kings. Um, You can uh, catch him on the Return of the Roar podcast, which he co-hosts. Like Frankie does it all. He's an unbelievably brilliant basketball mind, just an amazing guy, uh, as well as an excellent um, reporter, just very, very good at what he does. So to be able to have him here on Locked on Kings is always a treat. He's always so generous with his time. And like I mentioned in the introduction, we're going to spend a lot of our uh, conversation today talking about Sasha Vezinkov and what he can be for the Sacramento Kings. Going to spend a good portion of this conversation talking about Harrison Barnes and do the Kings replace him? Do they bring him back? What his motivations might be? Also some stuff about De'Aaron Fox at the end that I think you will enjoy. Uh, So please sit back, relax, uh, and enjoy my offseason conversation with Frankie Cardicelli. There's a man that hasn't played a single second of NBA basketball yet that Sacramento Kings fans are getting more and more excited about. And he happens to play a really big playoff game today in Greece. I'm talking about Sasha Vezinkov. And someone who's going to be watching that game and writing an article on that game to come is Frankie Cardicelli. Now, it's weird that this game has probably already happened by the time that you listen to this, or maybe it's currently happening. So it's kind of a future uh, past tense thing, but we still already know a decent amount about Sasha Vezinkov. We've seen the mixtapes, we've seen the highlights, we've seen the shooting. Uh, and and we're going to talk a little bit about implementing Sasha into the Sacramento Kings, what that potentially looks like, plus some other names and, and some other offseason decisions that the Sacramento Kings have to make. Frankie, welcome back into the Locked on Kings podcast, my friend. It's been uh, been fun taking a break from seeing each other after basically living with each other for the last <laughs> few months of the season. Uh, but before we jump into anything Sasha and, and, and the rest of things, like you and I approach Kings basketball in a very similar way. Because we have the background of being fans of this team, fans of this organization, wanting this, uh, to to see this team succeed. And we toe the line between kind of the professional media and the enjoyment of, of the team. You and I were both in Portland, for example, to witness the Kings playoff drought actually coming to an end. I've spoken a lot on this podcast about what this season meant to me, how fun it was and how cool it was to to cover the return to the playoffs in this amazing year. But what was it like from your perspective? 
First of all, you're you're tired of me, Matt. You want so you don't want to be roommates down the line. No, I'm sick and tired of hearing you talk about the Yankees, and it was only uh, like two weeks of it. And I had enough. Hey, man, our, our Yankees and A's are showing off. They're they're showing down today, so we'll see what happens. But a, uh, the A's are going to lose. Spoiler alert: The A's are going to lose. Yeah, they'll they'll probably lose. Yankees not have not been good though. You don't have um, to watch. No, man. Uh, this season, I'm actually writing a uh, like a reflection, uh, like a year in re- like review kind of uh, thing for for the website right now, and I'm kind of just kind of diving through the motions of what the year meant to me. And yeah, you and I both are kind of cut from the same cloth in that regard, as far as we are now media members, but we grew up in this area of watching the team, uh, you know, living and dying with this team. We were, were, you know, big fans. And I I still am a fan. I always will be a fan. Like you can't, you can't just take that out of somebody just because of of the profession you're in. You know, we can toe the line of being professional, but I'm always going to be a fan. So that being said, this year was, it was everything. Like it was what we've been waiting for for a majority of our adult lives. You know, it's been 17 years, and being there in Portland was very special. Being there every night, watching this team battle in uh, day in day out, going to practice, it's just kind of seeing things kind of be built from the bottom up. Uh, I think it was one year ago today, uh, May 9th, that Mike Brown was hired by the Kings. So just think about how much has changed over the course of one year has been very special, and I think it's going to be a very fun off season to kind of relish in the fact that they did make the playoffs they had the, the season that they did we get to hold up our our pacific division banner and hang our, it up hang it up the shirts and the playoff shirts and everything we, we get to really enjoy those this summer that's fun and then you get to kind of buckle down and come free agency in the off season when it really begins july 2nd okay what can we do to take this team to the next level now what can we do to win a playoff series what can we do to put this team in position to compete for a championship that was a goal that mine and mcnair point out at his end of your press conference so fun year i'm gonna be soaking it in i've already watched the game one game two and game six highlights like a million times i probably will watch them a million more times this summer and uh i'm ready to see what happens and i know we're gonna talk about sasha and hb there's a lot of big questions around this team and some fun ones but the the, the team's in a very good spot and that's the most important thing it's always kind of lame, sour grapes to to look at the playoffs and watch the playoffs scope of what if my team was still in it? What if they hadn't been eliminated? How well would they do? Uh, and I always kind of roll my eyes at that. And yet I find myself doing the same thing with looking at the Lakers being up 3-1 on the Warriors and going, how would the how would the Kings have fared against the Lakers? I think the Kings would have had more success against the Lakers at this point than the Warriors are simply because of how well the Sacramento Kings push the basketball. But at the same time, it's AD, it's LeBron. Like the Kings lost to the Warriors who are now getting their butts kicked by the Lakers a little bit. How do you think the Kings would have fared in a uh, best of seven series with Los Angeles? I think they would have played well. I mean, the Kings, I, at this point, I think they would have played well against anybody. We, we've seen them. They, they went seven games against the Golden State Warriors who are a completely different team than their record suggests. And I know they struggle on the, on the road, but when you miss Steph Curry, when you're missing Steph Curry for a majority of the season and you have Andrew Wiggins out for, for 25, 26 games, this team more so should have been a top three, top four seed. Kings took them to the limit. I think they were a Steph Curry, incredible historic performance away from advancing. That's on them in the end. Of course, the Kings should have found a way to stop him. But uh, the Kings did play the Lakers well this year. Again, it was a different version of the Lakers. They made a lot of moves at the deadline. They they brought in D'Angelo Russell, uh, Rui Hachimura, um, Jared Vanderbilt. They made a complete they made a complete facelift type of change to their roster. Uh, but that being said, the Kings, I think they have the the young the young wheels. I guess you could say the speed to to run that Lakers team in the ground. They are not known to be a fast team. Uh, LeBron James is LeBron James, though. I would never count. Him out of anything, Anthony Davis, the Kings would definitely have trouble with him, uh, especially if Sabonis 
who is not a rim protector, not someone who is known to be a stopper down low. I wouldn't say he's a liability on defense, but he would definitely have his hands full with Anthony Davis. But um, it, it'd be another one of those toss-up series, I think. I think the Kings and Lakers both are capable of winning that series, but uh, I like the Kings' chances against anybody. And, of course, if you if you count out that Steph Curry 50-point masterpiece, uh, the Kings were in a pretty good spot there. But um, it, it's something to look forward to next year. The Kings are that close to playing the Lakers. I think that was kind of a exciting aspect of – Going into that game seven, we were all kind of talking about, are we going to be traveling to L.A.? Are we going to be watching this Kings-Lakers, uh, the re- revenge series take form? <laughs> Maybe next year, but um, uh, it would have been a lot of fun. It would have been so much fun. Well, now we look to the future, and one of the maybe most nerve-wracking aspects of the future is the fact that there's expectation now. Now, that's a good thing in the sense that we can go into next season not with the, hey, maybe this will be the year that they end the playoff drought. Now with the, no, they got to make the playoffs again. They have to build upon what they do. So having expectations is a good thing. However, last year was all vibes and fun. Now it's like you said earlier, how do you build upon it? And one of the names that potentially has been brought up to to come in here and help the Sacramento Kings take that next, next step is Sasha Vezinkov. Now, I have natural skepticism when putting a lot of hopes in a guy who has never played an NBA game yet. And yet we do this every single year with draft uh, with drafted players. Sasha at least has significant professional experience over in Europe. And the, we've seen a lot of European players come from Europe and have success uh, in the NBA from the pro scene in Europe to the NBA. Uh, so it's not necessarily as foreign a concept as maybe it was as early as like 10 years ago. That being said... We're talking about a guy who we we got the draft rights or the Kings got the draft rights for Sasha for a second round pick. So we're not talking about a a, a world beater star unless he suddenly turns into one. How, but the highlights look good. The shot looks fantastic. You can get excited about how he could plug in and help the Sacramento Kings, particularly from the perimeter. When you watch Sasha Vezinkov or from what you followed from Sasha over the last year and some change, either what do you know about him or what excites you about him here in Sacramento? Well, first and foremost, because he's a shot maker, and I think that's something the Kings definitely needed in this series against Golden State. When you have guys like Kevin Herter and Harrison Barnes uh, struggling from three, you you need someone to kind of step in and and fill that void. And sure, Keegan Murray stepped in, and he did a great job uh, games four through seven of providing the Kings offense, and they really needed someone outside De'Aaron Fox and Malik Monk to contribute. But he's a shot maker, first and foremost, and I think that that would kind of maybe cut into where does Harrison Barnes fit, where does Trey Lyles fit, um, if the Kings are envisioning bringing Vizenkov off the bench, which in my opinion would probably be how it begins. I don't know if you can kind of assume he's going to come in and be your day one starter. Um, I think the Kings try to make a, a bigger move in that regard as far as a small forward or power forward to uh, interchange with uh, Keegan Murray, whether that be bring Harrison Barnes back or upgrade that position. But if you bring in Vizenkov, you have a guy who's the definition of a stretch forward, uh, somebody who can rebound. And I think there's been some kind of discrepancies on, are those rebounds legitimate? Are those him actually crashing the boards? Or are they a, ma- uh, a, a matter of him kind of getting boards and garbage time? That's been kind of the conversation I've seen around like the EuroLeague forums, you know, just kind of digging into those, like if he's a rebounder or not. But the numbers say he is. So to me, it's hard to project what he can be at the NBA level. He definitely is someone who doesn't have the foot speed. He's not super athletic. Um that's why I'm kind of looking at if he could be, and again, it's one of the comparisons, I think, and one of the players you can kind of hold them in, in up against is Nemanja Bjelica, who I think Kings fans are kind of familiar with. I think it's him and Luka, and I don't think Vezinkov is Luka. 
but are the three players that have won Greek League MVP, I believe, the most recent, and then come over to the NBA or would come over to the NBA. So if you could have him come over and be a stretch four who can rebound the basketball, um, make smart plays. If It seems like he has a smart basketball IQ. He's not a playmaker, but um, he isn't a high turnover guy. If he can come over and be a Nemanja Bialica like he was in 2018, 2019, shoot near 40% from three, grab five, six boards a game, just knock down the open shot. That's what the Kings need, in my opinion. But, of course, it comes down to defense, and that's one of the biggest things I'm seeing about Vezinkov is can he defend at the NBA level? That's something we just don't know. We're not going to know until we see it. Obviously, EuroLeague is not the NBA. Uh, I think that's the second-best basketball league in the world, but it's not the, the number one. There, there's probably a pretty big drop-off there. So can he defend at the NBA level? Uh, I'm not sure, but it'd be interesting to see what happens if the Kings were to sign him. Would he be interested in playing in summer league? Probably not. Uh, would he be interested in playing? It's just kind of wondering how can you gauge that sooner than later? It's a gamble, but it's one that, that should pay off because the King or will, will need to pay off for the Kings because they need help with that position and they need it pretty bad. Yeah, if you could just cut and paste Sasha's numbers and put them into what his NBA line would be, the Sacramento Kings are golden. Right. Yeah. I mean, you, you look at averaging 17.6 points per game. When you look at his shooting splits, everybody's eyes immediately go to what his three point shooting is, because that's what he's known for. And he's shooting 39.8 rounded up 40 percent from from three point range. That's excellent. But the number that jumps off the page to me with his shooting splits, he's shooting 66 percent from mm-hmm. the field, period. So he's an extremely efficient score. Yes, there's questions about defense. You mentioned rebounding, too. He averages seven rebounds per game. I expect that number to not be that high, even as a starter. Uh, in, in Sacramento. But let me say this. One of the things you said that I hear a lot of people saying that I, I do somewhat disagree with, and I don't think you're wrong in asking the question because it's the right question to ask. I think it's just the wrong way to ask the question is if you bring Sasha Vezinkov over, how does Harrison Barnes fit? How does Trey Lyles fit? To me, the question is, no, you bring Sasha Vezinkov over. How does he fit with them if you decide to have both of those guys back? Like, I know what both of those guys are here in Sacramento. I know what they are as NBA players. While Sasha might be exciting and we see the mixtapes and the sexy shot making go, what if, oh, that could be amazing here in Sacramento. We haven't seen it. And the Kings are trying to improve. They're trying to bridge the hard gap that both Mike and um, Monty have talked about between good and great. And known commodities help you acquire or, or bridge that gap, or at least you feel better about it than unknown commodities. So if you bring Sasha Vezinkov over, for me, it's like that should have no effect on the decision you make on Trey Lyles. Harrison Barnes is different. We'll talk about Harrison. But for me, like maybe Trey and Sasha are the same kind of player, the same kind of position. Then have them fight each other for the spot. Like beat each other out. To me, I'm not making any kind of decision on Trey Lyles based off of if I can bring Sasha Vezinkov over. Because to me, Trey Lyles is exactly what you want out of a rotational stretch big that the Sacramento Kings should be looking at. I don't know if you share that perspective, no, but that's I, kind of my look. I agree. And I, I don't think it should, because again, Trey Lyles, I don't, I mean, if anyone watched the playoffs, he wasn't played at the backup four for a majority of his series. He's played the five, backup yeah. five. And is that something the Kings are going to do a lot next year? I don't know. They might, because it it was something that was more effective for them than rolling Alex Len out or uh, one of the bigger bodies. But the Kings need to upgrade, you know, rim protection and they need to defend the paint better next year. That's a whole nother conversation, but it should not. No, I don't think you should not sign Trey Lyles. If you sign Sasha Vizankov, absolutely not. But it does kind of make me question of, does it make sense to bring both Lyles and Barnes back? That's the kind of question I have. Mm -hmm. But at this point, if you're looking at money, I think it'd be cheaper, obviously to go with Sasha and Trey, 
And then if you want to upgrade the small forward, power forward, whatever you want to call Harrison Barnes, or who him and Keegan kind of trade small forward, power forward roles, whatever you want to do to fill, fill that other forward spot, that begins a whole other conversation. If you bring in Sasha and Trey, a new conversation begins. But I wouldn't say, okay, Sasha's in the fold. Trey Lyles is out. Trey Lyles wants to be here. And he's someone who, in my opinion, he'll get a pay increase. He's not going to make $2 million again. But he'll be probably in the six, seven million, maybe eight million dollar per year range. I think the Kings can afford that. Um, and then Sasha, it's unknown really what his contract would be. I think it'd be probably in the five or six, isn't it? I mean, I think there's different reports out there, but probably, probably five or six million uh, over three years, four years for Sasha. So um, I wouldn't say it would deter me. No, I think it it, it would be kind of encouraging to see Sasha and Trey in the fold because then you have plenty of stretch four shooting. Quick pause here as I remind you that today's episode of the Locked on Kings podcast is brought to you by Prize Picks. And right now, Prize Picks has a $1 million daily Superflex promotion for the NBA playoffs and finals. Every day of the playoffs and finals, one Prize Picks user will win a chance at becoming a millionaire. One entry will be placed after 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time and will be randomly selected each day. Whoever plays that entry will be given a six pick flex with the following payouts. If you get all six picks right, you win a million dollars. You get five picks right, you win $80,000. Get four picks right, you win $16,000. You can find full details at pricepicks.com slash million. What price picks is, it's the number one way to play daily fantasy sports. Basically, you pick two to six players, and if they will go score more or less than their price picks projection. So let's say uh, for tonight, the projection would be uh, 28 and a half points for um, Nikola Jokic and uh, 33 and a half points for Kevin Durant and 30 and a half points for Devin Booker. Let's say you take the over on all three of them. You cash in on all three of them. You can win up to 25 times your money on any entry. It's no competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections available. They don't just have it for the NBA, although this promotion that they're doing is exclusive to the NBA playoffs. They also have it for the NFL, MLB, NHL, uh, golf, European sports, combat sports, so much for you to enjoy. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. They offer safe and fast withdrawals and is currently operational in over 30 states and in Canada. When you sign up use our promo code locked on you can get a first time 100% instant deposit match up to $100 so you deposit $100 you get $100 you deposit 50 you get 50 it's free money for you to make money on prizepicks.com the number one way to play daily fantasy sports I agree completely with what you said about Harrison and Trey and Sasha completely understand except the reality that we need to point out is this Harrison Barnes is the best player between all three of them yeah. So if Harrison Barnes is the guy that you're letting walk, he's the biggest guy you have to replace. Like if you let Harrison Barnes go and your answer is moving Keegan to the three and having Trey and Sasha battle it out potentially for the starting four spot, I don't know if the Sacramento Kings got better. Now maybe Sasha turns into something great or Trey fits that spot for the spot minutes that he has and the Kings maybe go small and have Malik Monk and Kevin Herter in different kind of roles. I have no idea what Monty's thinking and what's good is he's built a roster that's versatile, right? That guys can play different positions. So he doesn't have to replace Harrison with just a three, which if he did, then the Kings I think would be in trouble because it's really hard to do. Like it's really hard to find a three uh, that is like Harrison, that's as reliable as Harrison, who's younger on a better contract, or if it's a if it's a better player, you're paying more money for that because every single team wants that. So that aspect of, of of replacing Harrison Barnes is really difficult. But 
you have options. You could go get a two if you wanted to play small. You could go get a four if you feel comfortable moving Keegan to the three. You could even go get a five if they stretch the floor and protect the rim like a Brooke Lopez I've seen some people talk about. So the Kings have versatility, but what we need to make sure is 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 looked at and really dissected is when the Kings make this decision on Harrison Barnes, if they decide to let him walk, they absolutely have to replace him because if they don't, they're in big trouble. Well, it's been what, 20 years over those 20 years. I think there's been four small forwards that have been, I'd say above average or, or, or good players. I'd say it was Peja Stajakovic. Yep. Ron Artest made a world peace. Yep. Rudy Gay, Harrison Barnes. Yep. Those are four small forwards over 20 years. And I understand that there's, you know, there's some players who play their whole careers, 15, 20 years with one team. Uh, Kings have gotten four over 20, which I guess that's not horrible, but it feels worse because the Kings have had, I would say for about seven, eight years, they had a question of who in the hell is going to play small forward. They found it in Rudy Gay, who played well here. I mean, obviously there's there's maybe some differing opinions on how effective he was and how much success came with, with those results. I mean, he was a scorer. Harrison Barnes has been a great small four for this team and not just on the floor, in the locker room, in the community. He means a lot to the city, this organization. Uh, but the question now is what is his, like, what does he bring to finding this team's ceiling? And I think one of the biggest problems for the Kings down the stretch was they desperately needed someone outside of De'Aaron Fox to get them a bucket. Someone that you need like a, a Jason Tatum, these are superstars I'm naming, by the way, which sure. are not easy to acquire, but a Devin Booker, a Jason Tatum. Jalen Brown. Um, Jalen Brown. You see what, what the Warriors have done with they have Stephen Curry. I mean, obviously, you have a, you have stars who can get you a bucket. De'Aaron Fox is that. But what happens when he is not available to take care of things? And obviously, the Suns also have Kevin, a guy named Kevin Durant who can get you a shot down the stretch. Um, the Denver Nuggets have Jokic. They have guys that can step up like Jamal Murray, Michael Porter. You have options that are proven shot makers that can come up for you late in games and Harrison Barnes. We know he had some struggles in golden state coming up late in games. I don't want to hold what happened in, in game four against him. And it's not just a Harrison Barnes issue. It's a Sacramento Kings issue. They need that guy who can be that third option, second, third option that can be a problem. And I think on more teams than not, you see the small forward position is such a huge position in, in getting those opportunities and getting work done when the team really needs it. So can the Kings upgrade that position? And that's my biggest question. If you replace Harrison Barnes, in my opinion, you need to find someone as good or better. And is that possible? And to me, I just don't know. I mean, the people that are out there, are you really going to fork out a big contract to Kyle Kuzma? I don't, I, I don't, I don't think that's a really good idea. Uh, Cam Johnson. I, I would say it's hard to imagine the Brooklyn Nets letting him go. And does he fit that mold? I mean, what's his ceiling? Uh, we haven't really seen him play outside of the shadow of Mikel Bridges, and, and obviously he was in Phoenix before. What does he look like in an expanded opportunity? We don't know. And then the, also the OG Ananobi thing, that would be a, a pricey move that would probably begin and end with discussions around Keegan Murray. Which and, you're not doing. No, because OG has he has one year left on his deal, then he's a player option. So it really makes you wonder, is there a scenario where Barnes can come back and take a pay cut that to me would be the most ideal situation, but will he? I mean, he's 31 years old. This is his last chance of free agency, really, to get a, a good deal. And I guess my my argument to that would be, argument to Harrison would be, you know, I'm not going to tell a man how much money he needs to make in his lifetime. But uh, 
he's gotten two big contracts already. He, I think he got 85, 90 million from the Mavericks and he got 85 million from the Kings. Maybe that, maybe that means it's likely more likely than, than it was last time that he would take a pay uh, decrease, but we don't know. We don't know what the market looks like. I think there are some teams out there that would definitely like to have a veteran like Harrison Barnes. Would they want to do it for the price tag he might be looking for? Who knows? But the Kings definitely, they can't afford to fork out another 80, $90 million deal, which I don't think they'd look to do anyway, but maybe a deal for 40 million over three. I mean, I'm just trying to think, I mean, have you gone over numbers in, in, in that regard yet? Or are you just kind of still looking at the big picture and what they could do outside of Harrison Barnes? Yeah, I, I'm I'm trying to think the, the impossible part of this is we don't know what mo- Harrison's motivations are. Like coming into this season, a lot of people were saying that Monty McNair made a mistake last offseason for not moving Barnes and trying to capitalize on his value because he was an expiring contract. I said I thought that Monty was taking a good risk. The Kings had the potential to, with one more year of Harrison here, build their case for why he should stay. Lo and behold, they have a phenomenal season. He's a major part of that. He plays all 82 games, uh, plus every single playoff game. So if Harrison's motivation is being an important piece on a good team, he has that here. If Harrison's motivations are financial, maybe he could get more money elsewhere. Maybe the Sacramento tax works in his favor. We don't know what he's looking for, but I I have a hard time, granted Sacramento bias, purple goggles. Like I have a hard time thinking in the open market team situation where he can go that he can win and be as impactful as he is in Sacramento. Plus, he already is a fit here. He knows the system. He has the relationships. He knows Mike Brown. So for Harrison, I think it makes a whole hell of a lot of sense for him to stay here. For the Sacramento Kings, does it make a whole hell of a lot of sense? And for me, it's been for years, I've been, you don't trade Harrison Barnes. You keep Harrison Barnes. Harrison Barnes is good. He's solid. He's difficult to replace. Mm -hmm. Now we have the context of the playoffs. And I'm not trying to judge everything about Harrison based off of how he played in the playoffs. But again, this offseason is all about going from good to great. If you keep Harrison Barnes in Sacramento as your starting three for the next three to four years, does he help you get from good to great? Does he help you? Sure, maybe it's minuscule versus what you could go out and get that absolutely gets you there in a year or two. That's the real question that Monty has to ask. Because if you bring Harrison Barnes back, I don't think anybody's going to turn their nose up at it. You have one of the most reliable, if not the most reliable starting small forward in the league. But does he get you from good to great? And that would make it a question of what can the Kings do outside of Harrison Barnes? If they bring back Harrison Barnes for a three-year, $42 million deal, cool. I can get behind that. Mm-hmm. But what else are you going to do to upgrade the roster? And that, again, comes back to Sasha, if you bring him in, that kind of makes puts a little more pressure and says if if, if we're if the Kings are going to add more money to their books to Harrison Barnes, that makes their other moves that much more important. So that means Sasha expectations are going to go up if he's going to be like their big splash of the offseason. Mm. Trey Lyles, how he played at his best, you know, in those spurts, gonna need more of that. Uh, Kevin Herter, I, I think that the Kings going seven games with Kevin Herter struggling the way he did really was incredible to me because he was such an, an impactful player for them. Going to need more from him. Demonis Sabonis, who right now has been the biggest talking point of the Kings offseason over this week of an offseason so far. Yeah, I mean, he the, the mid-range needs to develop. Uh, he needs to to show up in the postseason more next year. And then the numbers weren't awful, but he was not the Demonis Sabonis we saw during the season. Um, those are the questions that are going to need to get addressed. Now, the one thing I will say about Harrison Barnes, about suitors that popped in my head while you were talking, 
Um, this came up when I was on the air with Chris and and uh, Kyle Matson the other day. Someone on the YouTube chat said a team that he could really see going for Harrison Barnes. The more I thought about it, it made sense was the Memphis Grizzlies, who they are not going to bring back Dylan Brooks. They're going to need a small forward. They need more than anything a voice. They are lacking a voice. They were a team that was young and fun, I think, a year or two ago. And now they're just big-headed and misguided, in my opinion. And bringing in a guy like Harrison Barnes, to me, would be the perfect culture setter. So that could be someone, to me, a threat. And it really could be a threat to the Kings. So I just want to sprinkle that in as a, you know, if if this is a receipt in a couple months, I can come back and say thanks to the YouTube guy. The guy in the, I can't remember his name in the YouTube comments. But that was the only team I thought about and said, okay, that could challenge the Kings. But um but no, these are questions that are going to need to get addressed. I mean, if, if you do bring back Harrison Barnes, it puts more pressure on what else are, are you going to do around it because we know this team is good. This roster, as constructed today, is good enough to get you to the playoffs when they're all healthy. What's going to happen if you miss De'Aaron Fox for two weeks or Demonis Sabonis? Because I think even Mike Brown or Monty said, uh, it was Monty that said, that's probably not going to happen again. A team being this healthy, everyone playing 70-plus games in the starting lineup, Probably not going to happen again. They're going to have to learn how to uh, fight through some adversity. So what moves can you make where the team can survive that? And right now, I just don't know if they have enough to survive if they lose a guy like uh, Fox or Sabonis for for a month at a time. So those are things to to look for for me. And that kind of comes back to the the biggest question on the table, which is Harrison Barnes. I love the Memphis shout because I think it makes a whole hell of a lot of sense. But then again, it goes back to what is Harrison's motivations? Because he could be a starter on Memphis, and Memphis was the number two seed, and Memphis has playoff and championship aspirations. Their window to win is right now, so that makes a lot of sense, except he's going right back into dysfunction. Now, he absolutely could be the guy to help turn that dysfunction around, and the and the um, Memphis Grizzlies' dysfunction certainly isn't to the level of the Kings' dysfunction when he was traded here. So he's been through that before, but does he want to go through that again? He just had one year of finally, this is great, this is fun, I'm part of something big here. Do I want to leave that? to go to something that has all this potential to be great and and has been good already, but is massively dysfunctional. I don't know what, it's again, what are, are Harrison Barnes's motivations? So we're going to learn a lot about Harrison and his motivations in this offseason, and then how much the Sacramento Kings take that into account. But regardless, like even if they let Harrison walk and they bring Sasha over and they bring Trey Young back, Trey Young, Trey Lyles Ooh. back, that, I mean, that would be neat. Um, that'd be interesting. Um, imagine like, or I mean, you, you, you go through their, their salary breakdown right now. They have a lot of roster spots they need to fill. They have a lot of guys coming off the books. Like Terrence Davis is another one, for example, Alex Len, like there's a bunch of names coming off the books. So the Kings are going to have to make more than just a couple of moves this off season to field a roster going into next year. They have decisions to make about Namias Keita, uh, and, um, Keon Ellis. So there's different things that the Sacramento Kings will have to do. separate from Barnes and Lyles uh, and and Vezinkov. And another question that you brought up, there's actually two questions here that I wanted to ask in regards to Keegan Murray. One, how comfortable are you with the idea of him being a a starting three? And number two is, can Keegan become that guy, the second guy on this roster that can create his own shot? I think he can, but I think he has a ways to go. And are you willing to trust him with that in his second year? Yeah, I mean, this is the fourth overall pick. I mean, this is the guy the Kings hitched their wagon to with that selection last year. And uh, I think just in the playoffs, he saw the strides he was taking as far as he came up big. Even in game seven, the Kings were kind of falling down that 
you know, eventual that downward slope where they kind of let the game get away. Keegan was the one who was hitting back-to-back shots. There were floaters in the lane too. And when he was making those shots, it kind of makes you think, hmm, like that's in his bag. And you saw it even in summer league or in, in college. He's able to create his own shot. He's able to do it um, within the three-point line too. And I think this year was a matter of it wasn't what the team needed from him. Hmm. They needed him to be a spot-up shooter. They, they needed him to be a guy that can come off dribble handoffs, that can come off curls and knock down threes. And he did it. He did it more so than any rookie's ever done in the history of the game. So I think when you look at what they need from him next year, every time Mike Brown has called on him, Keegan, I need you to rebound more. Keegan, I need you to be more aggressive. He's done that. He's answered the bell every time. I mean, I think he ended the year averaging or ended that series averaging eight rebounds per game in the playoffs. Um, he, he, he had a clear uptick on rebounds after Mike Brown called him out. Uh, in the middle of the season. I think he went from averaging two or three boards a game. I think he averaged almost four or five a game. Um, he's someone I think is definitely capable of, you can get more out of him. And he's so young and raw, and he hasn't had the opportunity to really practice and get those reps in of getting those shots off on his own at game speed. But when you see this, the, uh, when you see the, this, I guess those possessions and even going to the, to the rack with his left hand, you, you, you see them and you feel, you think, this guy can do it. This guy has what it takes to be a 20-point-per-game score. And you see it when the Kings, when it happens, they play well. I think when Keegan scored 20 points or more this year, they were uh, like 9-2 and two or 10-2 and two or something like that. I, I didn't see the updated number, but we used to tweet it when he was in that good run in, in April, I think. But um, he's definitely someone I think can be a versatile wing. And we talk about shot makers. Can he be that? That remains to be seen. I think he can. But... I don't know if it's fair to expect him to come out and be that 20-point-per-game score next year, but from a progression standpoint, he was a rookie this year and played pretty well. I mean, the Kings have had rookies come in and they haven't made that much of an impact outside of maybe, I don't know, uh, Tyreek Evans, DeMarcus Cousins. I mean, Tyrese. Tyrese, Tyrese Halliburton, yeah. These are guys that are, you know, well, Tyreek played like an all-star for one year and then he didn't play like an all-star again. But Tyrese Halliburton, DeMarcus Cousins, these are guys that turned out to be all-stars. Keegan Murray right now, I think it was 11, 12 points per game, 40% from three. Can he get that two-point field goal percentage up? That's the biggest question, I think. Can he score in around the rim like we saw on those floaters, on those possessions around the rim? Because in college, if you watch his college tape, the guy did damage in the paint. Mm-hmm. It looks like a different person. There's even a video of him screaming while he's dunking a basketball. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen. Keegan's showing emotion. <laughs> uh, can he be that? That was That's the idea. I mean, that, that's the ideal scenario that Keegan takes a leap forward next year. Can it happen? Absolutely. But to sit here and expect that and putting the eggs in that basket, I don't think would be wise. And I don't think the Kings will do that. They'll look to upgrade the roster around him and, and De'Aaron and the guys they have that core. But he's absolutely capable, in my opinion. Real quickly, before we wrap up, a lot of the next step for the Sacramento Kings comes to the continued development of this core five, six players that are going to be here, but especially De'Aaron Fox, right? De'Aaron made a significant leap into stardom this year. How does he keep going? What is next for him? And to me, it's simple. Like, I could be wrong here, but to me, it's about De'Aaron Fox solidifying himself as a true solidified star, an all-star. Like, there's no none of this fringe, maybe he gets in as an all-star replacement again because you can't put him in over Dame Lillard, who's scoring 30 points a night on a garbage team. Like, that can't, that can't exist anymore. And I don't even blame De'Aaron for that. That's just the... So many talented guards in the West, so many talented guards in the league. It's just a tough situation. So you have to remove that difficulty. You have to be that guy that goes, we cannot keep him out of it, even if he's not an all-star starter. To me, the simple way to do that is scoring. 
Like he has to go from 25 to 27, 28 points per game. You have to be that guy more often than not. And he showed he could be that guy in the fourth quarter, certainly winning clutch player of the year. And I hope that continues. But first three quarters, De'Aaron, can you go into the fourth quarter already with 20 points? So the 15 that you score puts you at 35. Like, can De'Aaron be that guy almost every single night? He didn't have to be this year for the Kings to be successful. And that was great. That took pressure off his shoulders. But he kind of has to be if he wants to elevate himself to that individual status. And I think that's what the Sacramento Kings are going to need to help take that next step is an absolute, okay, if if the Warriors need, and, and it's very difficult comparison of Fox to Steph Curry, right? I'm not trying to suggest that they're on the same playing field or Fox needs to get to that level. It'd be great if he did. But if the Kings need a... 40-point masterclass performance in a game seven out of a guy. Can Fox be that guy? To me, that's his next leap. Yeah, I think he's very capable. I mean, we saw it in the playoffs. I mean, he averaged almost 30 points per game. I think the world got to find out finally who De'Aaron Fox is. And they had to see him at his best in game one uh, and game four. That was a De'Aaron Fox masterclass. I mean, he's scoring forty, almost 40 points. He's knocking down big shots, fall away jumpers uh, from 15, 20 feet. That's De'Aaron Fox at his best. Uh, scoring around the rim. So, yeah, I think next year my things to watch for are exactly like you said. Can he do it earlier in the game? Because that obviously would translate to more points per game. Then he'll be at 28, 29, maybe 30. I mean, I, I've set up for a long time. If De'Aaron Fox could find stability at the free throw line, he'd be a 30 point per game scorer. And the free throws are better this year. They still weren't a, a level out in the keys comfortable with. I think if he was more around 80%, um, it'd be kind of an ideal goal for him. And also the, the three point shooting. You saw stretches in, in the playoffs, especially how great he was shooting the basketball. Can't he do that over a whole season? And I know it's clutch time, but again, knocking down threes early in the game can help set the tone. That's what helps teams win basketball games is setting the tone early. The Kings were not very good at setting the tone early in games this year. They kind of were, you know, again, clutch time for a reason. Fox is clutch player of the year. He helped the Kings pull out a lot of games. Uh, I like to see the Kings run away with more games and, and be a true dominant force in the league and win games handedly. And that can happen early in the games and Fox can help set the tone. He can close the game out before it's even halftime if he really wanted to, but um, he has to prove that. And obviously that doesn't all fall on his shoulders. There's a team around him. It's the Sacramento Kings, not the De'Aaron Foxes, but um, he is someone who, like you said, the, the Steph, I think that's been getting a lot of run, the 25-year-old. You know, they both yeah, went to the playoffs. Yeah. And that's getting a lot of run right now. And to that, I say use that. Use that as motivation because look what Steph Curry accomplished after the age 25. And I think we do forget about that. I was talking to my girlfriend about how just we were watching the game last night, the, the Lakers Warriors, how Steph's 35, LeBron's 38 and how dominant and just how great they still are. And she was like, I can't believe like the Kings don't have any of those guys. And I said, no, they have, they have a guy like that. He's just a lot younger and he's just not there yet, but he's capable of it. I think Darren Fox is certainly capable of being one of those guys that can be one of the faces of the NBA. And this year was the introduction, and now next year we go. So uh, all-star year, clutch player of the year, that's great. But like you said, superstardom is next, and he's capable of it. So we'll see if it can happen. Well, Frankie, this is not the last time that we'll have you here on Locked on Kings over the offseason. I appreciate you coming on as always. Let's go watch Sasha Vizenkov kick some ass, huh? Yep, you're a league, baby. Let's roll. <laughs>